another week, another podcast. We're still doing this, and it seems to be going well. We are. We just recorded our very first episode with a guest. Yeah. It wasn't just like a friend doing us a favor either. Like, this was a legit interview. Other than riding the high of that interview, I know we're kind of like, we're playing with time here because I think this will be posted before the interview. (laughs) Um, How are you doing this week other than really good after that interview? I... I'm doing really good right in the moment. I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie to you. Up till <laughs> the interview, in this whole probably past week, I've just been very stressed with work. Yeah. As I announced last week, I got like a promotion slash raise, which is great. But there's a reason that you get promotion slash raises. <laughs> it doesn't come. You don't get the same amount of work prior for making more money usually. Yeah. Um, And so that's come with a lot. A heavier workload. Yeah. A lot more, um, just a lot more being asked of me, which I'm happy to rise to the occasion. But after kind of riding like a very easy past couple of mm-hmm. six, seven months, it's a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. Do you think um, they're like maybe, not, I don't want to say testing because that has a bad connotation, but they're trying to like kind of like bait you with a nice little bonus without you really like doing anything extraordinary to see how you do rise to the occasion. I definitely think so. Um, I just think, you know, I work in the mortgage industry. It's insanely busy still. Mm -hmm. And I don't think very many people predicted it to stay this way. Yeah, me neither. Um, And so the fact of how busy we are, like, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we're just so busy right now. And we, you know, we have so many new employees. And so I offer support to new employees. Mm-hmm. Um, I, off, I assist other loan officers with their, you know, loans. And so it's just, it was a lot at one time versus like getting kind of introduced to one of those. Feel a little comfortable roles. with that. Yeah. It's like they're not handling you with kid gloves anymore yeah and like I totally appreciate that because I do rise to the occasion and like I'm not afraid to like take charge of what I'm doing Mm -hmm. but it's just it's a lot happening at once um and so I've been kind of struggling with that aspect and you know I I did reach out to somebody today to kind of let them know like this is how I'm feeling and so they heard that and they essentially backed off because my afternoon was way less stressful than it has been for a week. Interesting. So I think that also helped because it's crazy to me. I'm still not used to having bosses or coworkers that listen to me. Having a supportive team. Yeah. That are like, (laughs) no, you're overwhelmed. Okay. We'll take this off your plate, Mm -hmm. you know, but the thing is everyone's overwhelmed. So So, where does it go? I've dealt with that. Like kind of mentality with work before where people are like well we don't want you to be miserable we don't want you to be suffering in silence you have to speak up but it's like if I if you take something off my plate then it's gonna hinder somebody else and Mm -hmm. add it to their plate and I don't want it that isn't teamwork to me but it is in a sense right like we all have to kind of meet each other where we're at yeah and I think like the biggest thing is like I try like it takes a lot for me to ask for help like I will do anything that I can think of to try to come up with an answer or solution before I like I can't figure it out yeah and like that's to my detriment and like that's like that's a huge that's not like a huge weakness but it is a weakness of mine yeah um and I'm very open you know at any point with interviews or like even when I'm employed by a company like I don't like asking for help to be self-sufficient it's hard for me um and so like it finally got to the point 
just really complicated like income calculations like, <laughs> that I've never seen before in my life. And finally someone was like, well, you're not an underwriter, so stop trying to do an underwriter's job. Uh... And so for me, it was like an the role, like the position I'm in now at previous companies and with previous teams, nobody it was expected else would have figured it, to out. figure it out. Yeah. So I'm still like working through kind of like that trauma. It's a trauma response. Yeah. yeah. Being like, no, I have to do this. And it's like, otherwise you'll get reprimanded. Yeah. But right. it's like, no, there's, there's a whole nother team that can do this. And I was like, wow, like I don't feel it day to day, but it's still there. Yeah. Like, it, it was crazy to experience that today, but feeling much better now at least you like that's the thing that always impresses me about you and I guess about both of us and like where we came from is that we have so much awareness in what we've gone through and how it made us who we are right now and like we're able to identify like yeah that is a trauma response like and it's not healthy but it is what it is right Mm -hmm. now and I'm gonna try to address it and work on it but this is where we're at yeah um I think that's very healthy way to keep continuing to be a better person and maybe also pro- like just kind of stressed about today. Like it was a big moment, and like I don't think I realized until like maybe ten minutes before it was happening, like how big this actually is. Yeah, like, the audience that we could potentially be opening ourselves up to. Like, so if it's... you're new, welcome. Oh my gosh! Hi. <laughs> if you don't know who we are, we're dumb chicks. Uh, there's a, there are some of us. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I really realized either until I was at uh, my hairstylist today. I got my hair done, even though you can't see it, listener. It looks really nice. (laughs) And I was telling, I was like, she was kind of saying, oh, well, we we did something different than what we initially planned. I was going to say, it looks different. Now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is what you told me it was going to look like. Yeah, I was sure. I was going to, you know, stay blonde and just kind of freshen the highlights up and give it a nice toner. But she was like... I just still feel like you have some purple left in you. Like, let's do it. And I was like, okay. So she's like, it's going to be a little bit longer of a process, though. Is that okay? And I was like, as long as I'm back home by, like, 5.30, I have a really important meeting um, to get to. And she was like, so what's going on? Tell me all about it. So I started talking to her about it, and I pulled up his Instagram page. And I was like, oh, my God, he has way more followers than I thought he did. Mm -hmm. And she's like, wow, like you guys are legit. And I was like, no, we're not. <laughs> I, we're tricking everybody and like. Fake it till you make it, man. I hope we don't, you know, lose a bunch of listeners that are joining us for the first time. But maybe you stick around. We talk about some good stuff about just being humans in today's world. How are you doing? I'm okay. I, de- I think I had a few low weeks there, real low. Um, and I'm coming out of it. I'm still using running as a little bit of therapy for me to kind of process all these things, these changes that I'm going through right now. I did go to the doctor. I don't think we talked about that. (laughs) But you definitely, we recorded another episode. I don't think we checked in with each other last week. Wow, we're bitches. Well, it is what it is. Um, sorry, don't go listen to last week. Actually, last week was good. The love languages. Anyways, um, I did go to the doctor, got some things addressed. I still have a lot of work to do, um, to take care of myself and it's proving to be a little bit more challenging than I thought. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I'm on some new medications and I'm adjusting to that change. One of them, I have to, essentially I've figured out that I have to wake up earlier 
than I was, which is fine because I was waking up at like nine. <laughs> I work for myself, okay? I set my own hours. I'm jealous. There's nothing. <laughs> I can like... definitely wake up earlier, and I am usually a morning person. But if I don't have to, why? Why should I? Um, but anyways, I figured out that I have to wake up a little bit earlier because this one medication I can't really take with any other medication or vitamins because mm-hmm. it'll make me sick. So I'm waking up earlier so that I just do that and then a few hours later I actually get up. Um, and yeah, I have a new exciting volunteer opportunity. Um, so last week I talked about how I used to volunteer with vday.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I've done volunteer work with Dressember, um, which are all just things that give back to people who need it. Um, but from V-Day, I've made a connection to someone who started an organization called Safe Bay. And Bay is an acronym for Before Anything Else. Mm-hmm. So it's Safe Before Anything Else. And what they do is educate um, teenagers, high school students mainly, on like teen dating violence and education on consent and just like sexual assault prevention all that kind of stuff um and one of their co-founders um was in a documentary that is on netflix called audrey and daisy have you seen that yeah um which is an amazing documentary and it's still on there i just checked so go check that out um, so that is fun <laughs> and uplifting as usual. Ashley's Ever... recommendations are always so uplifting. I know. And <laughs> Shale was like, why do you want to do this? <laughs> why do you want to volunteer your time for free to help me? And I was like, um, it feeds my soul, quite yeah. honestly. I don't know where I would be without some of the work that these organizations do um, because my life would just be very different without services like this um oh i wanted to did we talk about the cecil hotel last week Mm -hmm. i wanted to clarify because i hadn't finished the documentary the docuseries when we recorded and i was recommending it so i made a little mistake in saying that the case was still unsolved or a mystery Mm -hmm. of what happened they actually did determine that there was no foul play it was ruled in court as an accidental drowning so this girl just walks up to the top of this hotel, mm-hmm. steps into this water tower, and drowns all by herself? That's what they are claiming was the the cause of her death. But mm. it, And I do recommend that people still go watch it, even if you're like, eh, whatever, that seems like a sham. There's got to be foul play. I'm not sure where I stand yet, but I think you should watch it if you haven't yet because the last, the last episode really does an uh, – like, and maybe that's why they're trying to like still kind of cover things up. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. I'm not the investigator. <laughs> um, but they do a really good job of kind of explaining where Elisa was at the time mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she had some underlying conditions that maybe she was suffering a psychotic break. Or she was off her medications that she should be taking. Yeah. And that it was like self-induced. As Cardi B would say. That's suspicious. That's pretty sus. Anyway, do you have any recommendations? Um, I, let me think. Because <laughs> I've had a couple for a couple of weeks, but one week we didn't really share them. Mm-hmm. Um, I did watch the movie Palmer, which is on Apple TV, starring Justin Timberlake. 
Oh. Very sad. Oh. So if you want to cry. <laughs> if you need a therapeutic outlet. <laughs> yeah. Like, I literally told somebody, I was like, yeah, like, only watch it if you're, like, ready to cry or, like, get emotional. That's my jam. That's um, the best way to go into a movie like that. But it's a very, like, heartwar- heartwarming story. Um, you know, it does end on, like, an uplifting note, which is nice, but it there are parts that are hard to watch and it's very sad. Um, love Justin Timberlake, so I would recommend watching it if you do watch Apple TV stuff. Um, another one that I just recently watched, which was the third season, and I, I guess it aired on TV, but it was just released on Netflix, and it's The Sinner. Mm-hmm. So I'm all, I, you know, I'm promoting both Justin Timberlake and his wife. Jessica, <laughs> I so. think I started The Sinner like when it first came on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I watched like the first season. I don't know how long it continued after that, but. So it's like, um, I can't think of the word that it's actually called, but it's like American Horror Story. It's anthology. Okay. So, except the one major difference is there's one character who's the same in every season and it's the investigator. It's the cop. Okay. So it's like the same universe Mm -hmm. still? Okay. Um, and so the first season starred Jessica Biel where like the big, thing that start that like catalyst the season is she murders this person on the beach in front yeah. of everybody so he has to investigate why that happened and turns out there's like some like brainwashing crazy shit that happened yeah. um the second season i didn't really follow super closely it has to do with a kid that i think kills parent his parents or something <laughs> Um, but, but the first th- season's worth it yeah first <laughs> worth it and then the third season stars um Matt Bomer. Okay. So, American Horror Story mm-hmm. alum. Um, he's also from Blue Collar. Love him. So nice to look at. <laughs> um, so, it stars him and it stars Chris Messina, who is probably best known from The Mindy Project or um, The Emancipation of Harley Quinn movie, Birds of Prey. Who is like, he in that? The blonde guy that's like super crazy, like the henchman's main guy. Okay. The, like, Giggler or something like that? Yeah, I don't know what he is. I think that's what he's called. But he's, like, super crazy in that. He's also super crazy in season three of The Center. But it's so interesting. It, like... I feel like any time I've watched this show, like, it's kind of just, like, a mind fuck. Like, I'm just, like, (laughs) what's happening? Yeah. How, like, how do these seemingly normal people Mm -hmm. do such crazy stuff? And I find that so fascinating because it's literally, like, you don't know the people around you everybody is capable of harming you until they prove otherwise that's how i live my life yeah, we just went on some tangents there but how I do we it. segue into this wonderful interview that hopefully you're stuck around to listen to we teased you enough with it yeah i reached out to a finance expert on instagram basically when the whole GameStop thing was happening because i was looking at it as a consumer and as somebody who used the Robinhood app and had a lot of investments kind of through the app, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I don't know where to go and who to go to to explain this type of stuff to me. Yeah, and what to, what information to trust. Yeah, and so I was like, I'm just going to reach out to him on a whim. He has like 200 plus followers. 200,000 plus yeah. followers. Oh, yeah, 200,000 <laughs> plus followers. Like, there's no way he's going to respond to me, and he did. He was like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, wait, what? Like, really? <laughs> um, but so... So the, the person that we met with tonight that we interviewed is Jeremy Schneider. Uh, he is an entrepreneur, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. He 
has a, a company, uh, a business that he founded called Personal Finance Club. You can check them out online and he'll, you know, drop the website and everything as well as his Instagram. But we met with him and we just asked him some questions as some dumb chicks who don't know what they're doing with their money. Yeah. Um, and it was very informative. I was, I say at one point in there, I'm taking more notes than I did for a college course. Yeah. Um, I learned a ton and I can't wait to be smarter with my money and have it work for me. Yeah. And use these tools as we're always, you know, we always talk about the tools that we have. Yeah. Use these tools and apply them to, you know, make a better future for myself financially Mm -hmm. and you know I think we all have different goals and financial goals and you know what our futures look like are different but I think the one thing most people if not all of us can agree on is we want financial independence yeah we want to one day not have to answer to the man and work a night rely on a paycheck yeah absolutely and so you know he kind of you know breaks it down for us in a way that's easy to understand because if you've ever like, I one time Googled, like, what's the stock market? Because I didn't fully understand what it was. And it still didn't make sense. It's still, yeah, the way... I think they do that on purpose to keep you dumb so yeah. that you don't let your money appreciate and, like, gain interest and, like, grow. They yeah. want us to literally just take, you know, the money that is given to us by our employers, pay taxes, and survive off of literally just that when it doesn't have to be that way. They literally built a system that can make you more money just mm-hmm. by putting it in the right places. Yeah. And I think that's like the craziest kept secret. <laughs> and it's like, it feels criminal to like have this information now, yeah. but it's not criminal. It's like no. literally everybody can do this. You're the very first guest um, because this is actually a pretty recent new endeavor for us. Um, I've had the podcast, or I've been podcasting since 2019. But with COVID and everything last year, it was really hard. I would basically just kind of interview and like get together with friends um, to discuss what was going on. But with when COVID hit, it was hard to meet in person. And I didn't really like the virtual interviews because of Zoom. Um, <laughs> and then so after taking some time off, I was like, hey, I have a roommate and we talk about all these things anyways. Why not just do it together for the podcast. So restructured the podcast a bit and asked Ashley to come on and she said yes. So here we are. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I have anything better to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. All I right. love this. I love being a co-host. Sit down yeah. in front of the microphone. You do everything else. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, but so yeah, so we are here this evening with Jeremy Schneider. He is I looked him up on LinkedIn, and according to his LinkedIn, he's an (laughs) entrepreneur with a background in software development, Um, but you're now currently, since 2019, the founder of the Personal Finance Club, which, based off of the website, really seems to be just a community uh, geared towards educating people on investing and personal finances to help them achieve financial independence is what it seems like the goal is. Yeah, that was a great uh, quick bio of my life. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Victoria did her homework. Yay! <laughs> um, but so I'm a little bit interested to hear a little bit about your background before you founded Personal Finance Club because Ashley and I both actually like started our career path, I guess you could say, in the software 
development type of company as well. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Oh, what in what ways were you guys in software development? We um, worked. We worked. Go ahead, oh. Victoria. <laughs> I would say we worked for a company um, that was geared towards the mortgage industry, hence why I'm kind of in that Dylan. industry now. Uh, but they, we, it was a CRM company based off of the Salesforce platform. So we onboarded clients um, and helped them customize their CRM essentially to grow their businesses. Huh, cool. That's funny. That's like, sounds pretty similar. Um, yeah, I started a company in college. Actually, uh, yeah, I graduated with a master's degree in computer science and turned down uh, a job offer from Microsoft and then started my own company. And it was in the rental housing advertising space. So yeah, real estate is kind of like a pretty broad spectrum. But mm-hmm. but uh, landlords who wanted to advertise rentals could post to Zillow or Craigslist or apartments.com or rentals.com or these 50 of these different sites. I made a website where you could post once and automatically appear on all of those different sites. Um, and yeah, I grew that from the age of like 22 to 34. And then at 34, I sold that company for just over $5 million. And then I worked there for two years. And then at the age of 36, I quit my job. And yeah, that's what brings us to today, more or less. Yeah. Um, I am interested in you turning down this offer from Microsoft because similarly, I think Victoria and I both like when we were finishing up college, we're like, you know, driven towards or everybody tells you that you need to go towards like corporate jobs or Fortune 500 companies, especially if you're in the tech industry. Um and that seems like it would be a dream offer. What made you want to change paths and go your own way? Because I'm kind of in that position right now where I'm starting off on my own and terrified. Oh, that. you are? Oh, good for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it is terrifying. Um, so I, I was an intern at Microsoft as a software developer for two summers, mm-hmm. like my last two summers in college. And I just didn't really like it. I mean, I really liked the company. I have nothing bad to say about the company. Like there's good people, you know, I thought they were doing good things, but I didn't like just being a cog in like the gigantic machine where you could kill yourself and work 90 hour weeks and like slowly climb the corporate ladder or like phone it in and, and nothing really changes in the world. Um, you know, at least from my perspective. And so I don't know, I just was confident or stupid enough just to say no and, and decide to start something from scratch. I like that. Confident enough or stupid enough? Are we still deciding or do you think it was the right move? I mean, you know, with hindsight, since I it, it, there's like at least a modest success, I did start a company and I did sell it. Um, yeah. It seems like it all worked out in the end. But, you know, who knows? Maybe in alternate universe, like, you know, Microsoft Jeremy would have been much more successful or who knows what. Who knows? We're not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so I guess we'll never find out. <laughs> That's true. We can't <laughs> snap our fingers and redo it the other way. Exactly. Um, I'm interested because you mentioned, you know, you sold the company and then you worked there for a couple of years and then you kind of just stopped working at 36 because, I mean, the biggest thing that I've seen across, you know, the website as well as your Instagram page is this really amazing um thing that you did which was retiring at 36 years old what was that like like did you have other friends that were you know in the same positions or you know was it kind of just this crazy idea where you know you were no longer gonna have to do that nine to five type of career anymore yeah I mean 
the word retire is such like a corny word and I, <laughs> I put it on my bio just to like get people's attention. Um, but right. like, what does that mean? You know, I feel like, does it mean like sitting on my front porch in a rocking chair, like with a blanket <laughs> over my legs, knitting or something, um, you know, and, you know, I think a lot of people are between, you know, switch careers or between jobs or, you know, and, you know, you never call that retirement. And it's essentially what I did, except I guess the big notable difference is I had enough money to never have to work again, um, which is nice. Um, and so, but yeah, it was, I don't know, it was weird. I, I was working for this, you know, much bigger now publicly traded company and was just kind of this middle manager and decided it wasn't, you know, the best place for me anymore. And someone else could do a better job at what I was doing. So we left on really good terms. And then literally like, I think my last day was a, a Thursday or a Friday. And then on Monday I flew to Italy and coached beach volleyball for two months in Italy and just did something like extraordinarily different. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I got to like, you know, then I, then I basically did a year of nothing where I was, you know, traveling sometimes and playing a lot of video games and just doing that much. And I know (laughs) I was figuring out as I went and I, I kind of feel like in my twenties, I was, you know, I started this company in college and then from, from like get go out of college, I was like trying to build this business and couldn't really take time off and started hiring employees and, and kind of like lived some more of my adult life in my younger years. And so then in my mid thirties, I kind of like got to, you know, just have fun a little bit, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. With starting that company, was that always the goal was to get it to a certain point then to be able to sell it and make it that, um, you know, publicly owned funded company and everything like that? Yeah. I mean, so to be clear, the company that bought my company was publicly traded. Um, You know, my company was very small, um, you know, in the big scheme of things. Uh, But yeah, I think so. You know, so I'm 40 this year and I graduated college in 03, which, and I started in 98. And so like my first few years of college were in like the total peak of the dot-com craziness, Mm -hmm. like dot-com boom. And, you know, that kind of informed my perspective on the world, I guess. And so I just saw like, you know, I was a little bit too young to, you know, cause I was like a freshman, sophomore in college. And so I was a little too young to really like take advantage of it. But I saw people who like, you know, were, had my degree and, you know, kind of were similar to me who were, um, you know, cashing out for millions with like seemingly simple ideas. And so I was like, I'll just do that. Start a company, <laughs> sell for millions. And, um, you know, obviously like, when I graduated, then we were kind of in the very bottom of the dot-com crash and then experienced the financial crisis as I was growing the business. So it was never quite that smooth sailing. But yeah, I'd say that's what that was kind of the goal from the beginning. Awesome. It seems like kind of a series of like lucky or happenstance events for you, like timing-wise. Um, what would you say like for somebody now, like looking at how the market is and how the industry is, like how is that what steps could we take to kind of be able to retire early or, you know, not work a nine to five for the rest of our lives? Well, is it possible still? Definitely. I mean, you know, from my perspective, it's easy now because I have a little bit of, you know, experience behind me. I think it's probably more opportunity than ever for this Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Well, first of all, there's, there's kind of like two main ways you can retire early. The first way, the, Maybe I don't know if the word simple or easy, but the more clear way maybe is is you just spend way less than you make, and then you take that difference and then just invest it early and often, and then over the course of however long you know you need ten, fifteen, twenty years, you you stash that money away, invest it, let it grow, and then you'll that your investments will grow to be big enough to never have to work again. So, for example, if you spend half of your money 
and then you invest half of your money, starting from zero, it takes 15 years to get there. And so yeah. if you're 22 and you just you know, get a job for 60 or 70,000 and just live very, very simply on half that money, when you're 37, you will your investments will be producing enough income to mean that you never have to work in. Um, so that's definitely still very possible. I mean, you know, it kind of goes again is like discussions of like, you know, social inequality and, and poverty. And there's for sure, like not everybody has an equal playing field to be able to do something like that. For mm-hmm. sure. If you're like an uneducated, uneducated single mother of three, you know, it's very hard to save half of your money. So I don't mean to like mitigate that, but, um, right. but that math still works. And then in terms of starting a business, I was just talking to my buddy from college last night who's starting a company right now, and I'm kind of starting a company. And we were talking about this third company that we, we both want to start. And we're like, there's just too much opportunity right now um, <laughs> to like, you know, do everything. Well, how, I, I mean, I think I saw recently on one of your posts that you hired on an assistant. When did you get to the point where you're you're technically not working, but you're doing enough work on, you know, social media and the club to need help. When did you make that decision? Well, yeah, I guess that's why I have to like fess up and say like the retired thing kind of isn't true anymore. I am working full time. You're spinning a lot of plates. <laughs> what was that? Spinning a lot of plates? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Right. So like, but you know, I, I guess I prefer the term like financial independence where I, you know, have a lot You're of not like relying on a paycheck. Right. Totally. Yeah. Which is, which is great. Um, and so it's funny because just this morning I was like reviewing some of my old posts and there's a post from October, which was like, you know, what is that? Five months ago or six months ago or something mm-hmm. that was, that was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, listing all of my finances for personal finance club. And I had spent, I had spent like $3,000 on like various stuff just, you know, on the website and going to a conference or something. Yeah. And then, um, I had made like you know, 50 bucks or something, you know, it's like, so I was like down <laughs> 29 50. Um, but <laughs> yeah, then oh, I got must in August. Cause yeah, then in October I decided to like actually release this course and decide to sell it because I kept getting the same questions over and over and over. And I like desperately wanted to like do this direct like data download from my brain to everyone who was asking these questions. And like my instinct was to give it away for free, but I was like, Oh, if I give it away for free, people aren't going to take it seriously. They're not going to finish it. Um, mm. And if I charge something, I might be able to like hire people and grow the free content more. So I decided yeah. to charge. And yeah, from I, I launched on October 1st and I had like a five day sale. And between October 1st and October 5th, I made $110,000, which was like wow. bananas. That um, is bananas. <laughs> you just totally like, bananas. For stuff that you were kind of already doing. So it's like, where is the value in it? Yeah, I mean it's it's this the stuff in the course, which is I, I put it directly on the sales page and my Instagram everywhere. Like it's the exact same thing I say everywhere else that I'll say here that I say on my Instagram that's on my reading list on my website. You know, you can get it all for free at the library. Like there's no secrets in there. But um, but it's like if you know if you want to pay and get it in an organized manner, and I think a lot of people just from following me have like appreciate you know appreciate that or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was wild. And it took me like over three years cumulatively to make $100,000 at my first business. And then to do this one in five days was kind of bananas. Yeah, but wow. brilliant at the same time. Difference. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's so crazy. Um, and then so I kind of just want to go back a little bit to the two options to essentially retire early um, that you were going over. 
so in achieving a like financial freedom or independence or whatever we want to call it these days, does that also mean in a sense being debt free? Is are those two terms like are they the same these days? You know, I think I personally prioritize paying debt before investing. Okay. Um, I think it's a dangerous game to do it the other way because if your investments go down, your debt still goes up and then you could get yourself in a pickle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of think that debt-free is kind of like a precursor to financial independence. Like I could imagine a world where someone has $6 million in the bank and a million dollars in debt or something and they're okay. You know, like they can, mm-hmm. they can technically be financially independent and not be debt-free. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for most people who are um, building wealth, you know, the priority is to get, just to pay off all of your, I kind of have like a ordering on my website, but you know, you'd pay off all of your non-mortgage debt before you start investing. So you pay off all your non, you pay off all your non-mortgage debt, you start investing aggressively. And then once your investments grow to 25 times your annual cost of living, then those investments will be able to provide for your income for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. I feel like the only type of like method for paying off debt that I've ever seen is the snowball method. Is that something that you like incorporate into your idea as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's these like cute names like the snowball method and there's the avalanche method would be the alternative. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to pay back all the money, you know? And so I, I feel like with debt, because, you know, there's like a, I think it's like a $1.5 trillion financial services industry that's out there doing loans and offering investments. And, you know, and, you know, as you said, you're part of the mortgage industry. So you're like even in part of that world and, and people like get so confused about all these terminologies. And at the end of the day, like if you borrow money to get out of debt, you just have to pay it all back, you know, like refinancing right. or, you know, like all the others, all the other ways that you can like push the peas on the plate. You just got to eat the peas at the end of the day. And so um, I like the snowball method. That's just is sorting all of your debts from smallest to largest, paying the minimum on all of them except for the smallest, and then basically going ham on that smallest debt. Um, the reason you do that is to give yourself like a, you know, a moral victory of getting rid of one of your debts as fast as possible, getting rid of that payment, and then taking that payment that you used to be making on your smallest debt, plus all of those extra payments you're throwing at it, and then rolling them over to the second smallest debt and continuing down the line. That makes a lot of sense when you break it down that way. It's awesome. Thanks. I know you were mentioning like um, paying off non-mortgage debt. So you would say that having property debt or having a mortgage would still benefit you um, in investing or getting to that financial freedom. It's an investment that's good to make. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that it benefits you. Like if someone offered me a house and you can, they'd say you can have this house for free and <laughs> own it full, paid in full, or you can have this house and like, Oh, half a million dollars on it. I would want to own the house free and clear. Right. You know, so it's not like there's no benefit. You know, some people listening would be like, but Jeremy, you can borrow against your home and invest in and get a high rate of return. Yeah, maybe. And like, you know, there's mm-hmm. an opportunity. But the reason that I prioritize paying the mortgage debt lower is because mortgage debt is kind of different than every other kind of debt. Like if you have student loans, credit card loans, auto loans, medical debt, et cetera, et cetera, all those other types of debt represent spending on things that you either the money's already gone or are plummeting in value like a car. Yeah. Um, whereas a house, is a, that debt is backed by a physical asset that generally maintains or increases in value. And so basically anyone who owns a house can get out of their mortgage debt immediately 
by simply selling the house. Whereas you can't get out of your student loan debt by selling your tuition or whatever. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's why I don't really see it as critical of importance of getting out to debts early. And of course it's, you know, hopefully goes up in value and you live in the house and things like that. So, you know, you can, you can become financially independent and still have a mortgage. Good to know. Not yeah. I'm I literally like taking notes. Like I'm taking a college course right now. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. Like all this stuff, you know, people, I, I don't, you know, I think you guys are young. Aren't you guys in your twenties at least or at, at most, I should say. I am the ripe old age of 30. <laughs> 30. Oh, you crossed the line. Okay. Um, but you're still extraordinarily young and, you know, but you know, you guys are successful, like, you know, have good jobs, the whole thing, but like, we never learned this stuff, which is so crazy. And, and it's like, you know, it's, in my opinion, pretty basic stuff. It takes like a few hours to kind of sort through all of it. Um, but for whatever reason, it's not really talked about or taught in high schools or colleges. Um, and, you know, then we're kind of graduating these like crops of successful 18 year olds soon to be young adults who don't really know about money. And they just kind of know what pop culture teaches us, which is like, go buy a new car, go buy a house, go spend, spend, spend credit cards. Right. Like, um, it seems yeah. like my group of friends are either on on either end of the spectrum in that they're terrified of like getting a credit card or opening debt or or having any debt to their name whatsoever. And then there's the kids who kind of got approved for their first credit card and then went to apply for seven more um, and racked them all up to their limits. So it's like we don't we really weren't taught what's good and what's bad because it the only thing that was taught to us was don't get into debt. But at some points you do need to have like a credit score in order to get approved for things. And like, I couldn't get a car loan forever because I didn't have a credit card until I was like 26. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people don't even learn the debt thing. I think a lot of people, you know, you know, I remember a friend from high school, like as we were both going to college, she was explaining to me how college was going to be great because her mom could like max out her student loans and then like use that money to like do something else. And at the time, you know, I just remember kind of like staring at her like wide eyed being like, okay, you know, like, I don't know what that means. Like yeah. your mom has some fancy scheme going that I have no ability to have insight to. But like now as a 40 year old thinking back, I was like, what the hell was that mom doing? Like, why would you want to max out your daughter's student loans? Like, what did she do with that money? I'm like, that doesn't sound good at all. No. Um, so yeah, like there, there's really no, like, you know, the common knowledge or common, common sense around money is, is not all that common. <laughs> yeah. I can think of so many people in college that just took out as many student loans as they could to pay their rent and to pay all these other things. Mm -hmm. And I just imagine that there are those people now that have an insane amount of student loan debt that maybe they're hoping is going to be forgiven sometime soon. Um, but it's just one of those things too, where I feel like it, it wasn't even taught to us like by, by parents. And I, maybe that's a generational thing. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. but it, I just feel like there's a whole generation of millennials, um, or maybe even Gen Z now that, you know, doesn't know really proper money management. And I think that's why there's so much value in your course, even though, you know, you give a lot of your content out and a lot of your ideas and methods out for free, but having a course where it's just kind of laid out to you to follow through is, I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, and obviously so, because in five days you made a hundred thousand dollars. So people agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I made money. Hopefully I, I wish, you know, 
I don't really know what happens when you die, but I hope when you die, you can like see this like big list of statistics. And I would the love to see like you what, made. yeah, exactly. What's the impact I mean, I mean, obviously it's like great for me and I was hiring someone and now it's like great for my employee. And, mm-hmm. um, but I suspect that I've like transferred like untold millions of dollars of wealth, um, you know, to, you know, people who didn't know about it before. Right. And, you know, and these ideas aren't novel and they're not like my original ideas. I think if I have any like unique skill, it's just the ability to like kind of make it simple for people that couldn't see, couldn't see it clearly through, you know, other methods or whatever. Um, But yeah, I hope, I hope that uh, it's better for other people than it is for me because I already, I already have a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that there's a weird, not a weird, but like a new idea of like this new masterclass, type of program um, on specific subjects. And I think it's because there's just so much information out there and we're constantly consuming stuff. So if there's just one place we know we can go and there's, you know, a certain expert in the topic that we know we can trust and we can follow them, I think that adds even more value to what you're offering. So um, I think that that's a huge thing in what we're seeing with social media, like a big positive of it is there's a lot of pages that are out there that are really just, you know, sharing knowledge that already existed, but breaking it down and making it more simple and making it easier to understand and read through because I went through your Instagram post and it's much easier to comprehend everything there versus if I were to, you know, start researching on my own and looking through books and websites and stuff. So I I definitely think that's a big part of it as well. Thanks. Yeah. I, you know, we, the world's kind of shifting, right? I think that sometimes people are like questioning the common wisdom around, you know, going to a four-year college and then just like assuming that a job's going to happen. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of education. I went to a four-year college, the whole thing. But, um, but I think that a lot of people are saying like, oh, it's kind of matters more like what's your skill place in the marketplace. Maybe you can go to a two-year, two-year school and like learn a specific trade and you'll actually be better off. Um, and then with like COVID and the internet, like, you know, online learning is becoming more and more mainstream. And so, um, you know, things like this course, I think are becoming, you know, accessible and, and like less weird to people, which is, uh, you know, good. I hope as long as you're, yeah. as long as you're, but also it's like unregulated, you know, like I, like I, I'm not accredited or anything. I'm just a guy with an opinion, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. give, like putting out what I, what I believe to be very good information, but like, um, you know, easy for me to say, right. So there might be some like regulation coming on that or something. Who knows? Yeah. That'd be interesting to see how that shifts and changes. Um, but I, I want to move into like what your advice is regarding investments as someone who's always had, you know, I've always been employed by a company. I've never been self-employed or anything like that. I've always had the opportunity to have a 401k or some sort of retirement plan. I'm curious to find out from you if you think that that type of um, retirement plan is the is a good option. Is it you know if you had to rank them, is it at the top of the list, or are there better investing options for saving for the future? So it's a big question, and so <laughs> whenever I get big questions, I like to remind everyone to like at the end of the day, you got to do two things to like become wealthy, retire early, get rich, whatever you want to call it. Thing number one, these are the two rules, by the way, of Personal Finance Club. Rule number one is to live below your means. That means spend less money than you make. And rule number two is invest early and often. Invest the difference. So if you spend less money than you make and you invest the difference, 
you will build wealth, you'll be rich, you'll be successful, the whole thing. If you don't do that, if you spend every dollar you make and you don't invest anything, then no matter how much you make, you'll be broke, right? So if you make $100,000 a year and you spend $100,000 a year, you're, you're zero. You have zero at the end of the year, right? And when, when you're 65, you'll still have zero. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I think the reason I mentioned that is because you mentioned 401k versus other retirement plans. It's like very abstract and there's lots of like crazy numbers and acronyms flying around. And I think it's like <laughs> causes people to be scared and confused. And, you know, remember, if you just spend less than you make and invest the difference, you're going to be in good shape. That said, yeah, 401k, it's just a type of account, just like checking account, savings account, 401k. It's got a crazy name, but it's just a different type of account. You put money in there, but in, unlike a savings account, when you put money in there, it grows. You know, you, you, you do something with it. You buy an investment. So instead of just having it sit there in cash, like paper dollars stacked up in a bank, you buy stock of companies in the world. And so a 401k is a special type of investment account where it's only offered through an employer. That's like a very weird feature of the U.S. Uh, government laws or whatever right. that, um, you know, your, you know, our ability to save for our own retirement is like at the discretion of our employer for some insane reason, which I think is ridiculous, but that's the, the world we live in. Um, and so is it the best? Well, I have a, I basically have a ranking of like which order you should fill up these different types of accounts. Mm-hmm. The first priority is your 401k up to your company match. And so if you happen to be employed at a company that offers a 401k, or 403B or TSP or 457. Those are all different names of employer-sponsored accounts. If you work for one of those companies and they offer you a match, which means you put in a dollar, they put in a dollar, you always do that first. Because if you, you know, and usually it's phrased in terms of like a percent of your salary. So you might have like a 3% match. So if you make, for example, if you make uh, $50,000 a year, 3% would be $1,500. So you could put $1,500 in and then the company's going to add 1500 new dollars to that account that they would not have paid you otherwise. If you don't do that, you're, I was just going to say literally, but I guess we've kind of overused that word. Literally, you're you're uh, metaphorically flushing money down the toilet you know, <laughs> because you're just losing that $1,500. So yeah, the 401k is the best if you have a match. Second mm-hmm. best in my option is an HSA, which is a health savings account. You only have it if you have a I'm, I'm rolling my eyes right now, but you can't see because this is audio only. But, you know, I it's like technically true, but most people don't have access to it. So I like I hesitate to make the water muddies, waters even more muddy. But yeah, second is HSA. Skip it if you don't have it. But then the, the third next option is a, a Roth IRA. And the Roth IRA is an account that basically any individual, in, any individual can open up. You can contribute up to $6,000 per year. Once you put that money in, you have to invest it. You buy an investment like stocks, bonds, my personal preference, you buy index funds and then you let it grow over time. I prefer the Roth IRA over continuing to contribute to your 401k over your match because Roth IRAs have lower fees and they have unlimited investment options and they're not unnecessarily tied to your employer. That's mm-hmm. option three. Option four is you go back to your 401k or your employer-sponsored retirement program. Uh, so when I say option four, that means once you've filled up all the previous options. So like if you've made your company match in the 401k, you've contributed up to $6,000 a year in your Roth IRA and you have more to invest, then you go back to your 401k and then keep investing there. You can contribute up to $19,500 per year in a 401k. And if you have even more to invest, that means you're investing over $25,500 in a single year. Then you put it into a regular old brokerage account, 
which has no limit. You can invest billions of dollars inside of a brokerage account, but there aren't the tax advantages offered by the other previous four steps, which is why that comes last. Gotcha. Well, that I'm was doing, a very long answer. Sorry. <laughs> I'm doing one of those. I'm doing the first one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a good so. start. First one's a good place to start. Yeah. Since yeah. I left the corporate world last year, I moved my money from the 401k to a Roth IRA, but I don't know what to do with it after that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Well, it's a great step because I love rolling over from a 401k to an IRA. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you do is first you make sure that it's still invested. Yeah. Sometimes when you do that transfer, it can end up in cash and you don't want cash sitting inside of an investment account because it's just like sitting there rotting, like eroding to inflation essentially. You okay. want it to be invested. So you basically have to like go put eyes on that account, look at what's inside of there. And if you see anything like core cash, money market settlement, sweep, any of these words that basically mean this money is putting sitting there and not doing anything for you, you okay. need to basically go there and click trade or buy and buy an investment like an index fund. You know, okay. on my website, I have a list of these ticker symbols that like show you which index funds to buy. Um, podcast maybe isn't the ideal format for like walking through the intricacies of uh, <laughs> online brokerage accounts. But yeah, for sure, you want to make sure that you don't have a uh, have cash in there. But then once once you've invested it, then you basically just leave it forever uh, because it grows and grows and grows. Um, you contribute more. You know, you, if it's a Roth IRA, you might contribute to that account, but you generally end up with like a few different accounts over the course of your career. So, like, I have a Fidelity account. You know, you go mm-hmm. to fidelity.com and open an account, and I have a rollover IRA, which was my previous 401k. I have a Roth IRA, which I contribute to. I have a brokerage account, which I put money in, and so I've got like kind of a handful of these different accounts floating out there. And they're all kind of like appreciating on their own, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, if my rollover IRA, maybe I had a $10,000 401k, I rolled it over to my rollover IRA. It's got $10,000 in there. And if you're 30, for example, and you retire at 65, that's 35 years, you know, that money could double four or five times. And so 10,000, if you double it four times, for example, it becomes 20,000, 40,000, 80,000, 160,000 bucks. It's not 10,000 doubling four times over the next 35 years becomes $160,000 just from sitting there, just from sitting mm-hmm. there and growing. What a cool. concept that we're yeah. never taught. You know? How to make money while you're sleeping, literally. <laughs> that's that's the dream. That's why you want to get that 25X number. When you get 25 times your annual spending, then that money grows and grows and grows and grows and you can just live forever without having to work. Awesome. Yeah. And I know, I think Ashley, you had a question on the list of questions you had come up with. Um, and we don't have to, you know, get into too much detail, but for those of us who are new to this type of investing, uh, what exactly is an index fund? <laughs> I love these questions. <laughs> do you? So, <laughs> I, I mean, no, I do. I really do. Or else I wouldn't do this. Okay. Um, so a stock is when you buy a piece of a company. So you can go to Robinhood or Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab or whatever and like buy one share of Apple stock. I think it's currently trading at like 250 bucks a share or something. Then you own like one share, one tiny little piece, like way less than 1% of, uh, of the Apple company. And due to owning that, you can sell it later at a profit when someone else pays you more for it, hopefully. And as long as you own that stock, Apple pays you dividends, which basically means when Apple profits because they sell phones and AirPods and all this, um, they directly deposit cash into the account in which you hold your one share of Apple stock. And so I think they're currently paying like a dollar a quarter. So if you 
pay 200 bucks for a share of Apple, every quarter, every three months, they'd put a dollar more in your account. So at the end of the year, you'd have 204 bucks plus <laughs> the change in share price. You know, it doesn't sound too extraordinary when you just look at one year, but you know, maybe that share, maybe that price increase in value too, because people are paying more for Apple. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, well, which stocks do you buy? And I'll try to keep this as short winded as possible. <laughs> Basically, because it's impossible to know in advance which stocks are going to do well, you just mitigate all risk uh, of being in one specific stock and you buy every single stock in proportion to the size at a very low cost. And that's what an index fund is. An index okay. fund is basically a very simple way to buy every single stock in a list. An index index just means a list. And so, for example, like a famous list that tracks essentially the 500 biggest companies in the U.S. is called the S&P 500. And so if you want to invest in the U.S. economy, you could buy an S&P 500 index fund, which means with one little click of a button on one website, you are a shareholder in 500 different companies and you are due the dividends and growth of all those companies. Wow. Okay. That definitely helped me understand it a little bit because I, I do actually have the Rob, a, an account with Robinhood. Um, and so I have a couple of shares in a couple of different stocks, but I, I, I also have something called the short term uh, Vanguard short-term corporate bond. And I had no idea really what that was <laughs> either. Um, but so that definitely helps break it down for me. I, I do want your thoughts a little bit on the Robinhood app itself. Is that something that, you know, is that a good platform? Is that a good service for, you know, maybe amateur investors or even investors that maybe have experience? Or would you, you know, is it is it better to actually go to, you know, Vanguard or, you know, any of these other companies like Fidelity maybe? So first, your your Vanguard short-term corporate bond is a little bit different than what, what I just talked about because um, bonds are kind of like the other half of the phrase stocks and bonds. And bonds, instead of buying a share of a company, like if you buy a share of Apple, you could um, you could like own the piece of the Apple company. A bond is actually like loaning money to a company and then getting paid back over time. And so bonds are historically less volatile, so they don't go up or down as fast, um, but they um, but they just kind of like slowly they like slowly pay you income. And mm-hmm. so um, you know, being a young person, you know, bonds are generally not something that's very good for young people to own because you want to be more aggressive with your growth. So, you, cause you have a long, you know, if you're, if your portfolio right now dropped by 50%, that would maybe make you a little bit sad for the day, but it's not like your retirement's ruined cause you're not planning to spend that money for 10, 20, 30 years anyway. And so that's why you don't really need bonds. Um, so yeah, bonds, no. not, no. not my favorite, um, you know, but you know, so, uh, what a you know a young person should be doing is investing in like a stock heavy portfolio, like maybe like 90% stocks, 10% bonds. So you could buy like a stock index fund for 90% of your portfolio and a bond index fund for 10% of your portfolio. And then as you age, you slowly increase the bond portion. This can be done. I will answer your Robin Hood question, by the way, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I just love this stuff too much. Um, this can be done in one convenient package called a target date index fund, which is basically one ticker symbol you type into these websites, then it has all these things inside of it. So it's got 90% stocks, 10% bonds, US, global, the whole thing, all in one place, all the dividends, all the shares are like coming back to you, growing, rebalancing, reallocating, doing all the stuff you're supposed to do in one convenient package at a very low cost. And even as you age, it automatically does that transition towards bonds. And so 
you know, and I'm like someone who just does nothing but read books about this stuff and live and breathe this stuff every single day. And like, I don't know of a better way to build my wealth for myself than a targeted index fund. And so when I see young people opening up Robinhood accounts to like day trade on GameStop, uh, <laughs> you know, that concerns me because, you know, I don't think that's the most effective or efficient way to actually build wealth. Um, does that make sense? Then we can move to Robinhood. Yeah, yeah, of course that does make sense. I'm making notes because I want to, you know, heed your advice and yeah. look into what exactly my investments are and re, you know, reallocate them to something that would make more sense for someone my age, you know, and what hopefully my financial plans look like for the future. So, I appreciate yeah. it. And you know, it's one of those things like it's not I love this stuff, but I understand it's not super like romantic or fun and you have to spend a few hours like banging your head against the wall. It's a little bit confusing, but like this will literally make you a millionaire if you just take a few hours, like get it set up correctly. So it's like totally worth your time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's wild that not many people will take the time to do it just because it is kind of an intimidating concept to understand. But when you break it down the way that you are, you're literally helping some dumb chicks understand (laughs) what what investments are. Name drop. Yeah. Well, that's why we called it that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love it. Um, yeah, I know. I so often have friends, like conversations with my friends in their 20s and their 30s, like, oh, I don't have time for that. So I, I was like, what if I paid you $100,000 an hour to work on this? And they'd be like, oh my God, of course. They're like, their mind explodes. I was like, it's like, well, that's what you're giving up by not doing it because you have, they're like, oh, you're not going to pay me? I was like, no, I'm not going to pay you $100,000 an hour, but you, know, but you can <laughs> build your own You're throwing the money wealth. away by not doing it. Right. Because your mind is just sitting there, like not optimally growing like it should be. Um, so, so that does kind of lead well into Robinhood, which is, you know, the world is full of shades of gray, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we kind of live in the age of outrage where everything is one side or the other, but I I tend to think that that's not really the reality of the world and there's lots of shades of gray. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I hesitate to cast too many stones at Robinhood for their shortcomings, because if the options are, you know, a young person doesn't invest at all, or they buy random stocks in Robinhood, I would rather them buy random stocks in Robinhood. That's a step in the right direction. It's not optimal, but it's better than not investing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, Robinhood has like a few major shortcomings. Like one of the most glaring of which is that they don't offer Roth IRAs. The only types of accounts they offer are taxable brokerage accounts. And so all these young people buying stocks hopefully they go up a lot like GameStop or whatever, um, are going to be due, are going to are gonna owe taxes on all of those gains. Whereas if they did the exact same thing in simply a different, an account with a different name on it, the government doesn't tax that at all. And so it's like, it's almost like criminal to me to like yeah. suggest that a young person open up a Robinhood account before they've contributed their $6,000 contribution limit to Roth IRA. Mm Because you could go to Fidelity, for example, buy that exact same. So let's say you put $6,000 in Robinhood and you bought GameStop and it went up to $60,000. You would owe owe capital gains tax on your gain of $54,000, the amount that it went up. If that's inside of a Roth IRA, and capital gains tax on $54,000 is probably going to be 20% or something, so it might be 10 or 11,000 bucks. If you put that inside of a Roth IRA, you your capital gains bill is zero because you never owe tax again on anything inside of your Roth IRA. And so it's crazy, you know? Yeah. So that's that's why I don't like Robinhood. 
plus all the other stuff that you hear about in the news. I was going to say, I would love to pick your brain a little bit about the whole GameStop and Robinhood thing, um, because when that whole situation was happening, I I definitely considered, and I mean, I'm still considering it, um, you know, not using the app and not having an account with them. Um, So what exactly... Like, if you could explain it to us, like, we're 12 years old. What exactly happened with GameStop a couple of weeks ago? (laughs) Sure. Um, So GameStop is a retail game store that you might see in, like, a strip mall or something. You go in and you buy an Xbox game or whatever. Um, And experts all basically agree that this company is basically doomed. Um, You know, retail retail stores. (laughs) Right, exactly. The Retail's... concept is just living, outliving the advancement of technology. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And and you look at it, and it almost seems like this relic of the past, like a blockbuster or something. Right. Like, why would you need to buy it? Why would you walk to a store and need to buy a disc? It just seems silly. <laughs> and so you know, and they're and it's a publicly traded company, and so you can buy stock in this company. And um, you know, last year, basically, the stock was doing very, very poorly. It was trading for like $3 a share or something. And um, there's these Wall Street companies called hedge funds, whose job is it is to take rich people's money and turn it into more money. And these hedge funds basically made a bet against GameStop. They said, we think the GameStop stock, which is very hard to say, I've learned, GameStop <laughs> stock is going to go down. And so they basically did what's called short selling, which basically means they borrowed a bunch of shares, sold them first with the intention of buying them back later at a lower price and then returning the shares. Um, And which is a little bit of a risky thing to do because if it works and the price goes down, you make money, you make money. But if the share price goes up, your, your like obligation could be unlimited. You know, because mm-hmm. you borrowed that share for four dollars, if it goes to four hundred dollars a share, you have to, you know, you lost, you know, four hundred or a hundred extra money or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's half of what happened. The other half of what happened, well, I guess it's kind of it turned into a saga. Whereas there's this internet site called Reddit with these bunch of day traders who are all idiots, and <laughs> one guy on Reddit had a theory that said, "Hey, wait a minute, something weird has happened here. First of all, GameStop is not as bad as everyone thinks it is." Like their cash in hand is actually pretty good. Their their legacy business model is actually going to survive longer than people think. And they have an opportunity to turn around, like go digital or whatever. So that's problem number one. It's not as bad as, as everyone thinks. And number two is if you look at how many shares had been borrowed and short sold, it wasn't like 10% of the shares or half the shares. It was like 170% of the shares. So like it's just a crazy you know, I, I kind of hate to explain stuff because it becomes so abstract. But basically, <laughs> every single share of GameStop was like borrowed and sold and borrowed again and sold. Oh my and this guy's like, hey, if we all buy this stock, then there will be no like liquidity to like make good on these short sales to like return the shares. So these big hedge funds are going to have to buy the shares back from us at like incredibly inflated prices. And so then the share price of GameStop eventually, you know, this took place over the course of like, you know, over a year and most of it in the last month, mm-hmm. the share price went from $4 to over $400 a share. It went up 100x, which is bananas. Holy shit. And, and one of these hedge funds like reportedly had to borrow $3 billion to pay it back, you know, and they didn't invest $3 billion. They might have invested like, you know, 10 million or 50 million or something, but right. because they had like a hundred X 
penalty for this share price going whacking the other direction, they had to like bail themselves out or whatever. So and where does that money even come from for them to pay it back? I, I mean, you know, some of the stuff's above my pay grade, but I think that they <laughs> borrowed it from another investor, another hedge fund. And they said, hey, you know, loan us $3 billion and we're going to get out of this pickle and then we're going to pay it back to you with interest yeah. or something. And this other hedge fund's like, oh, okay, but it's going to, we're charging you 10% interest or whatever, you know. I mean, there's big money moving around with people who have access to stuff on Wall Street that, uh, Normal it just all like becomes you, huh? like that the value of a dollar means nothing at that point. It's just you're talking about math equations and numbers and nobody really is like benefiting or gaining at that point because it's all just moving around. Totally. Um, I mean, you know, I think that's like a critique of, you know, Wall Street companies like, you know, these high high uh, frequency traders that are just basically rapidly trading stock back and forth, which is they're not actually contributing to society you know they're not actually producing anything or you yeah. know they're just basically like skimming money off the top of everyone else um and you know there's this concept of of alpha which is in the stock market you know the stock market as a whole the u.s economy if you measure every single company in the u.s every year there's a certain amount of growth you know companies mm -hmm. profit and they pay dividends and they grow and you know on average over the last hundred years that's been about 10 percent and to, if you if you personally want to invest and get more than ten percent, you know everyone kind of gets ten percent. Like the rising tide that raises all ships is ten percent. Mm -hmm. If you want to get more than ten percent, you have to like take it out of someone else's pocket. You know, yeah. if you get eleven percent, someone else out there in the world had to get nine percent. And so, and the interesting thing about this concept of alpha is that by definition, because the average is is the ten percent in this in this example, the alpha always, no matter what, adds to zero. Because so, if someone has positive alpha, someone else has negative alpha. So the sum total of how much everybody beats the market by is zero because everybody gets the average return. <laughs> and so when there's like this Wall Street, uh, Wall Street bets, Reddit, subreddit, and these hedge funds fighting over this ridiculous failing retail game store, they're literally fighting over zero alpha. Right. Um, like zero dollars, you know, they're just, they're just trying to take money out of each other's pockets. And like, meanwhile, like I'm what I call an index fund investor, which is I just take my 10% every year, minimize my own cost and my own headache and don't worry about the alpha because it's zero dollars at the end of the day. Yeah. You mentioned that that had been like going on for like a year. Was that, were people concerned about it? Did people think it was actually going to end the way that it ended in January? If it's even ended, it might still be ongoing. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, I mean, the share price as today was, I think, around forty or fifty dollars. So it's still up ten x times where yeah. it was, yeah. you know, a few months ago. Um, and yeah, there's basically, and actually, the this one guy who, <laughs> am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, podcast? it's explicit. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, I actually just listened to your um, the uh, the QAnon episode today, and there's plenty of R-rated references in that episode. So <laughs> I, feel, I feel comfortable. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's the, this one Redditor whose whose username is Deep Fucking Value that just like his like username on this website. He had been posting like every every week or something for a year. And he was posting like big... He, and when I say posting, he was like taking a screenshot of his, his like uh, brokerage website where he was making these trades on GameStop. And he was making these like these very aggressive trades with like lots of money. And, uh, and he was, and he started with like $50,000 and then at some point 
a few weeks ago, it was $44 million. It was like, it was crazy. And so wow. like, were people concerned it wasn't gonna work out? Like, yeah, like, and you know, and, but that, that 44 million, I think has now become like 5 million or something because the, I mean, I don't even, I don't know. He hasn't posted in a while, but yeah, that guy today literally was testifying before Congress because I guess I didn't tell the end of the story is when, <laughs> when uh, GameStop hit $400 a share, Robinhood and several other brokerages did this very weird thing, which I had never seen before, which is they prevented people from buying GameStop stock, but they allowed you to sell it. Interesting. And so all these, and before that move happened, this whole story was this like David versus Goliath where this, these like bunch of idiots on this website mm-hmm. were were beating Wall Street hedge funds at their own game. They like figured out this mistake these hedge funds had made by like over short selling this one stupid little stock. And they they were like beating them. Mm-hmm. And then the rug was basically pulled out from under their feet, according to, you know, these traders, which I think they have an argument. Yeah. And they weren't allowed to buy the stock anymore. And so when you take away and you know every the stock price is set by like buy demand and sell demand, right? If, if more yeah. people are buying, then the price goes up. And if more people are selling, the price goes down. When they take away all the retail buy demand by not letting you buy the stock, then the price plummets. And so like that day, it dropped from like 400 to $150 or something. And so, um, you know, there was accusations that uh, Robinhood is in the pocket of, of Wall Street hedge funds. And one of the big, one of these big Wall Street uh, companies is like a major shareholder or owner of Robinhood. And so, you know, who knows, like, you know, very few people on this What's planet know that, know that, yeah, exactly. Like what was mm. said behind closed doors publicly. And when I read Robinhood's, Robinhood's explanation, I was like, what? It was like this HR bullshit that was like, to maintain uh, optimal trading, uh, like, environment for all of our users we like i'm like what like what that's not an ex- that's not an explanation like later on, later on they're kind of like well there's like when the, when there's lots of volatility we have like obligations to the sec to like maintain a certain amount of money it's like i was like yeah maybe but like i'm not sure i'm buying it you know yeah um, i saw a bunch of people when that whole thing was going down on twitter that were like taking out their money from robin hood and they were posting about not supporting it and everything like that so it's interesting to see that they put out you know some generic like you said bs reasoning for doing that um they still it seems like they lost a lot of people at least that i know that are probably you know amateur investors they they've definitely gone elsewhere since then i think yeah i mean one funny story is that so i have a website with a bunch of financial information on it and one page i have like answers a common question that people have when they're opening up a fidelity account. Mm-hmm. And so when when you go to open a fidelity account, there's this one confusing step in that process. And people often Google the question. And the first answer to that question is my website. And so on the day that the Robin Thug thing, and you know, I maybe get like a hundred visits a day to that website, like a hundred people a day are confused by the step opening a fidelity account. Mm-hmm. On the day the Robin Thug thing happened, it went to ten thousand. It wow. went up like you know a hundred x in one day, and then and then it kind of like maintained for a few days and like slowly dwindled. And so you know, like I personally had eyes on the actual like flood of people leaving Robinhood and going to Fidelity, and that was just that ten thousand was just Fidelity people who were googling this and then clicking on my website. Yeah. Didn't count people who were going to Schwab or people who were going to Vanguard or wherever. Wow. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Such a crazy thing to witness. And, you know, it, it's hard because at the time, I don't think very many people understood really what was happening. It was just really crazy to watch all these people talk about GameStop that you hadn't thought about since like 2010, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you were like, wait, why is GameStop making headlines? So yeah. um, that was crazy. I mean, what's important to remember is that like none of this matters to me or to you, to, to anyone who's looking to build wealth. And it was interesting because it did bring it into like the mainstream conversation, but like me personally, like Jeremy, my net worth is $4 million. I'm like growing wealth quickly and doing everything very well in my own personal opinion. Like I changed nothing. I didn't buy GameStop. I didn't sell GameStop. I didn't start yeah. short selling. I didn't do anything. It just, it was all like, it was all, it was like these two ridiculous parties until like the Robin Hood thing came in and like, kind of like gave you reason to be worried about that platform. Um, it was just, you know, just like this tug of war over $0 of alpha of which I was like on the sideline, just like shoveling popcorn in my mouth. But, you know, <laughs> normal retail investors should just be buying and holding index funds, taking advantage of that 10% gain per year, which doubles your money every seven years. That's what turns your 10,000 into 160,000 over 35 years or whatever. Um, that's how we should be building wealth. Yeah. I really just have one last quick question, and it's probably going to touch base on something Ashley also has questions about. But uh, cryptocurrency, is that, you know, is that still, I guess, the future of investing or of <laughs> financial freedom and wealth and everything? I don't know. Um, you know, it's I remember <laughs> I remember hearing about Bitcoin 10 years ago and cons mm -hmm. I considered buying it. And I remember it's six cents a Bitcoin. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, is there a chance it will ever hit a dollar? And I was like, no, I like, I thought about it for like 10 seconds. I was like, there's no way it will ever be worth as much as a US dollar. That's ridiculous. It's just these imaginary ones and zeros. Yeah. And, you know, as of today, it's worth $50,000 a Bitcoin. And so, you know, if I could have gone back in time and, you know, put a hundred bucks in or something it would be worth like a million or who knows what. Um, and so is it the future? I really don't know. You know, like I think my analysis of it is that it doesn't provide income. You know, if you own stocks or you own real estate, those things produce income. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's no, other than it being like innovative, there's no ongoing innovation happening. There's no growth happening. There's no, you know, there's nothing like, it's not a productive asset like other, what I consider real investments are. Like, you know, it's really a store of value or a, a currency, maybe, although people don't really trade with it. Um, and so it's something more like investing in gold where you just have it sitting there. Yeah. Um, but like, I can't argue with the results to date. Like yeah. it's gone up to $50,000. Is that going to continue? I have no idea. It could drop to zero if there's like a hack or something. Who knows what? Um, but, you know, personally, I have, I've had very little money. At, although recently I have had like a little bit of FOMO. I'm like, man, what if, what if I've been just like, a curmudgeon on the sidelines here because it doesn't make any sense. I still still maintain it doesn't really make sense. Like there's no reason for it to keep growing. Um, you know, it's like it's like investing in gold or art or something. Like it's a limited supply, but there's it just doesn't make sense for it to keep going up. I don't know. Um, but I ended, I did end up putting a hundred bucks a month into it. I'm just like, all right, I'm just gonna like release the pressure valve on my FOMO and, and put a hundred <laughs> bucks a month in. Um, but yeah, to to anyone listening, like I can't tell you if it's gonna go up to a million. A, sh a million a coin or if it's going to go down to zero or it's going to stay flat at 50,000 for the next 50 years. Like I, I can't know the future, but what I would say is it's very volatile. There's no reason to like know that it's going to go up. Um, mm -hmm. So if you do invest in it, I would keep it to a 
small portion of your portfolio, like way under 10%, I would say, and uh, devote the majority to like buying productive assets like index funds and investment real estate. Which will guarantee to grow. Right. Over time, those basically are guaranteed to grow because they're constantly producing income and value and compounding that growth as you buy more from that income. That makes sense. Um, I guess my last question, and we we won't take too much more of your time, um, is have you made any financial decisions that like you regret or things that you needed to like bounce back from? Or I guess this is a three-parter. What advice would you give to young people who maybe did make bad financial decisions and get into a lot of debt and want to start over? So many. Um, <laughs> it's a three-parter. Maybe it's a ten-parter. A <laughs> uh, ten-parter. Um, so yeah, I'll tell you some stories. First, here's one. Um, a few years ago, I read this article about Sears Canada. And Sears the in the U.S. and Sears Canada were different companies. Um, and I read this article and they're basically like, Sears Canada is like this really popular company in Canada. And it's like basically like the target of Canada and it's like much more efficiently run and people use it for all their everyday needs. And like, it's just like this really glowing like review. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I buy that. And then I was looking at the stock and the stock had like dropped. It was like $20 a share. And it was down to like $4 a share or something. And I was like, I was like, you know, I bet that'll come back. You know, it's going to survive. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I put like $10,000 into it. I think I put $10,000 into it, which is a ton of money. But at the time I had a couple million. So it wasn't like this crazy decision. It was like, you know, less than 1% of what of my portfolio. Yeah. And then the stock price dropped to $2 a share. And I was like, oh, I lost half my money. I was like, I'll, I'll put another $5,000 in to like double down. And then if it goes back to $4 a share, then I get my money back. Um, and then, you know, and then, then the company went out of business and it went to zero. And oh, I, lost all, I lost, I lost $15,000 and like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, like I didn't know what I was doing. It was a stupid decision. I like, I had this hunch that I was like, oh, if it bounces back, I was trying to like, you know, be a value investor and buy low and sell high and it didn't work, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and I've got, you know, everyone's got stories like that, you know, for sure. Like it other happens. stocks and Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and, and I think a lot more people have like, you mentioned debt where you're like in crippling debt. And mm-hmm. the thing is like, you can't, hindsight is 2020, right? You can't just beat yourself up over what happened in the past. Like if we, if we all know then what we know now, we would all be Bitcoin billionaires because we all would have bought at six cents exactly. a coin. And, you know, it just, time only marches in one direction. And so you just have to like make a plan, you know, successful people, they make a plan and then they execute that plan. And so if you're in debt, you know, you sort your debts, start marching through them. You go nuts. You like minimize, you mitigate your spend. You get out of debt. Then when you're, not, when you're out of debt, then you start investing, build wealth. You just march forward, you know, that's, uh, that's how you got to do it. Okay, cool. All very yeah, helpful first, tips. then invest it. <laughs> that's, that's really the plan. I like, it's I posted like simple. little, yeah. I mean, I, I believe that it is simple. And I think that because people add complexity to it, it causes them to not make progress. Right. Like you like have analysis paralysis. Totally, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, just keep it simple. Do something. Pay off your debt. Take those debt payments. Invest them. You're rich. Like, that's the plan. And that's the goal, I think. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, financial depends. It's nice to, like, be able to not have to, like, answer to a boss that you don't want to or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate your time so much this evening. Um, And where can people find you if they want to learn more about the club or just follow you on Instagram? Sure. Well, I'm personal finance club. 
at Personal Finance Club on Instagram or personalfinanceclub.com. I'm on TikTok now if you want to see some hilarious videos of me <laughs> talking about money stuff. At I Personal love Finance TikTok. Club. <laughs> it's, TikTok is a dang, it's so addicting and I'm like, oh man. I'm on a yeah. TikTok cleanse right now. I'm not she allowing is. myself I'm so to so proud be of you. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> actually don't follow me on TikTok. I changed my mind. It's, <laughs> it's a waste. You can yeah, read a book or something. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, this was a lot of fun, actually. I, yeah, know, a crash course. Yeah, you're talking about finances, which doesn't sound like the funnest of topics when you think about it, but actually, you know, sitting down and getting to hear your stories and your, just your experiences was, you know, it was a good time. And um, we just appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to meet with us. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. We're, we're neighbors here. Maybe, uh, when this pandemic dies a little more, we'll see each other at the beach or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what else do you do in sunny San Diego as long as you're not in a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Other than go to the beach, that's true. I'm usually playing volleyball down there, though. That's, that's my thing. I have two lightning just for funsies questions for you. Oh, great. <laughs> um, if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you be? Uh, I've been really cold this winter, so I feel like I would go to like... <laughs> The Maldives or something. One of those like tropical, thatch, yeah, those over the water thatch, like bungalow oh, yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, I nice. looked those up once and they're like ten thousand dollars a night or something. They're like they're like obscenely expensive. Oh I was gosh. like, oh my, never mind. <laughs> not a good investment. <laughs> no, not a good investment. I could buy some serious Canada stock with that money. Seriously. And then my last one is: Do you like dogs? I love dogs. Okay, good. <laughs> You guys have a cat, right? I have a dog a and a cat. Yeah, they oh, don't yeah, get both. along though. So. Does one belong to one and one belong to the other? Yes. Yeah. The dog oh, is so mine. Who's... She's a wiener dog, a grumpy old wiener dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a dog guy. Sorry, Victoria. I'm, I'm on team dog. Nice. It's okay. I'm an all animal, but I do love my cat. So, yeah. I like cats too. I don't dislike cats, but I just like dogs more. I understand that they're more likable for sure. So I understand that people <laughs> like them more. Cats are like, I mean, cats give off a certain attitude and I get it. Cats have to choose the humans that they habitate with. Yeah. yeah and dogs who just true. love everybody usually. So that's true. Mm-hmm. Much more likable. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note. Thanks so much, Jeremy. We hope that you enjoy the conversation that we had with him. We hope that you've learned something. We hope that it makes it maybe seem a little less intimidating and scary. Mm -hmm. And we also hope that you like, share, subscribe, leave us a review, all the things.